If I were to tell you guys, like, what, what's the first brand you think of when you think of a red soda can? Coca-Cola, right? It's pretty simple, pretty easy, um, because they've had enough advertisements, they've had enough branding, enough um, presence in your life that that's the first thing you think of when you think of a red soda can is Coca-Cola. And I would pray that God's love for you would be top of mind for you. That constantly throughout your life, you would see little reminders when you see a bird, when you see the sunset, when you see different things, you think of God's creation, you think of God's love. And even when you go through trials, that it would be a specific reminder when you go through a trial to say, God is faithful, God is good, God is with me, that it would be top of mind. It would be the first thing that you think of. Because oftentimes our flesh doesn't think of that. Oftentimes our flesh wants to beat ourselves up. Oftentimes our flesh forgets that God is with us. And our faith suffers because of that. Instead of building up our faith, I think a lot of times our faith gets broken down because we don't have that reminder. We don't always remember. We don't always obey. We don't always do the things that the Lord calls us to do. But I pray that we would. I pray that you would hide God's word in your heart that you might not sin against him, like the word says. And that would we constantly be focusing on his goodness so that when something bad happens, you know he's still good. You don't have to worry about anything else because you know he's in control. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today, about God's sovereignty, about how good he is. Is everything in your hand or in his hand? Excuse me. But what's crazy is we do live in a pretty rough society right now. How many of you can agree? It seems like we're in a morally decaying society right now. The more and more that you look around Quite honestly, the less and less people you see in these seats. And as you go throughout life, it's going to continue to be like that. Man, we pray for revival. Because um, like it said on the Jesus, on the jet team slide, it says the harvest is always ready, right? We are, there are always people who are ready to receive the Lord. Um, but I, I see it, man. I see young people don't want to follow God. I see more and more we get into a common setting like work or school, um, or even amongst family members, and I think sometimes we're kind of scared to share our beliefs, or we feel like we're, we're the outcast. Um, what I'll always tell to the young adults or to the high schoolers is I went to a Christian university and felt in the minority in my beliefs. And, and Tony Evans put it in a really good way where he said, we don't have home court advantage anymore as Christians. It used to be a while back that we felt that most people believed in the same things. Right? We had this general morality, this general code of conduct that seem to be standard, right? But these days, things are a lot different. People rely on my truth rather than God's truth, right? And everybody has individual stories, but it should never be compromised for what is the ultimate truth. God's word is absolute truth. That means it applies to everybody. It's a truth no matter how, which way you flip it, no matter which way you, you skew it or, or speak it. Right, this world is decaying around us. There's, there's different things that are going on. Right? But there's too much at stake for us to not act. We have family members and we have loved ones who don't know Jesus and they're on their way down the wrong path. Right? Raise your hand if you know somebody who doesn't know the Lord. It's pretty simple. I know even if you didn't raise your hand, if you didn't raise your hand, you're a liar. I know everybody here knows somebody who does not know the Lord. I know that for a fact whether it's family members, whether it's co-workers, whether it's friends, anything, family. Right? And it struck me because a couple weeks ago, Pastor Manny was teaching and he said, do you have a heart for the lost? 
Do you have a heart for those around you, and do you want to see them come to Jesus Christ? And for you parents out there, I know if you guys have unsaved kids, your heart is burning for them, praying and hoping that they would come. I feel the same for my family. But we have to have a heart for the lost. There has to be something within us that says, I need to take action. And in Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. But here's the thing. In order for us to be able to be an effective vessel of salt, an effective vessel of light to this decaying world, to this struggling world around us, in order for us to generate faith in other people, we first have to be able to build that faith up in ourselves. And I think we miss the point in that. Like I said, do we have it top of mind that God loves us? Or are we really caught up in, I really just don't know. I'm always grabbing at straws. Like, I don't know what's going on in my walk. I don't feel like I'm strong in the Lord. I question my salvation all the time. And it's okay if you're there. But the reason I'm giving you this study is because the hope is that we would build up our faith to be confident enough to be able to share it with others. Be confident enough because I, I promise you, there can be victory in your walk. You don't always have to be struggling. And like I said in my prayer, God sees you if you're struggling and he wants to help you get out of that. Right, but I, as Serena and I, we go through our devotions, right? We try to do it once a week. We don't always hit it perfectly, but we try. We do. We want to be faithful to the Lord, but we're going through the book of Isaiah together. Um, and in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 9, in the latter half of it, it says, if you will not believe, this is the New King James Version, it says, if you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. But in the ESV, it says it a little bit more simply, and I like it. It says, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. If we're constantly walking in this cycle of struggle as we go throughout our walks, as we go throughout life, you're not going to be firm. People are, are, are going to see just at a hurting Christian. And there's, nothing, there's no shame in that. Oh, goodness, trust me, I hurt all the time. But the point is that we want to walk in victory. We have to be firm in our, in our own faith. Because here's the beautiful thing. When you're walking in the Spirit, when, you, when you're abiding in Jesus Christ, when you're building and you're growing that faith in yourself, doing the things that the Lord calls you to do, the simple things, reading, praying, spending time in worship, spending time in fellowship, you're building yourself up, what happens is you'll start to naturally impact the people around you. I hope you believe me on that. Because it's true. When we're abiding, we're obedient and just walking in the Spirit, that's when we can make a difference for this world, in this world for Jesus Christ, right? And I've seen this evidence in myself. I know what my heart and what my mind are like when I'm not reading. I know what what I'm thinking and what I'm going through when I'm not spending time with the Lord, when I'm not prioritizing the things of the kingdom of God. And if, if there's one word I could describe it when I'm not close to the Lord, I feel stagnant. I feel stagnant in my mind. I feel stagnant in my joy. I feel stagnant in my ideas and everything because... The Lord's the one that gives us that. He's our creator. All right, but here's the beautiful thing. When I am excited about the Lord, when I'm seeking his face and I'm asking, Lord, what do you want me to do in ministry? How do you want me to reach the people around me? How do you want to build me up, Lord? Because I know you love me. I know you want to give me good things. I know you want to show me who you are. It's, it's that when you're walking in the spirit, like it talks about in Galatians, it's beautiful. When you're in constant fellowship, I, I start to see in my own life, I start getting new ideas for ministry. 
All of a sudden, I start getting these little nuggets of truth in my head that I can hold on to and I can share with others. I'll tell Serena, like, if you guys ever see me, like, typing on my phone during worship, it's because, like, the Lord just told me something and I don't want to forget it. And I'm going to write it down. Right? It's never because I'm, you know, talking to someone or anything like that. But it's like, man, the Lord just told me something while I'm worshiping. I'm going to write it down so I don't forget. And that's what ends up making up my studies. That's what ends up making up my Fridays. That's what ends up making when I share with people is the Lord gives you those little nuggets, but that doesn't happen if you're not abiding. One, one time, one of the, one, a young adult um, that I was talking to asked me, bro, how do you do it? Like, how do you, how do you write your studies? Like, well, how do you come up with what you want to talk about? And I was like, dude, it's inspiration of the Lord. I'm like, that's the reality. Like, how did I pick today's study? I didn't know I was going to teach on this today. And I said, but if you're not walking with the Lord, you can kiss that inspiration goodbye. You feel stagnant. You feel like you're struggling. You feel like you, you have to come up with it on your own and you're just, you're there, you're, you're struggling. You're stagnant. And, but when you're there with the Lord, you feel the love of, of him flowing through you. It, it keeps you, right? And, and I can tell you that it's truth because it's written in scripture. In Psalm chapter one, the first Psalm, verses one through three, it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Here it is, here it is. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth, fruit, uh, forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. In John chapter 7, verse 38, Jesus describes it like this. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, speaking of the Holy Spirit. Or when you abide in Jesus, when you truly spend time with him and build up your trust in him, when you experience growth in your walk with God and, and, and you build up your faith, it becomes contagious. It becomes evident. The fruit's going to be bearing. It's going to be there. If you're planted by the river, you're going to be getting exactly what you need and you're just going to naturally bear fruit. In the Gospel of John, Jesus talks about abiding in the branch that he is, right? And when you abide in the branch, when that branch is there and it's being fed the nutrients, it's abiding in the Lord, it naturally bears fruit. You don't have to tell a tree to bear fruit. You just need to put it in the right setting. You need to do the right things to it, and it's going to bear fruit. And that's how it is with us. And there are many ways to get to that point. Right? There are obvious things, like I mentioned already, like coming to church, coming and getting fed the word praying, actually spending time in praying. And, and if you can't pray, you don't have to always just kneel by your bedside and praying. If that's hard for you, I would encourage you, find a way that works for you to pray. For a long time, what I, what I did is I would go walking for 20, 30 minutes before work started. And for me, my mind wanders when I'm just like there, like chilling in my room or something. So I walk, put my headphones in, put some worship on, and I talk to the Lord. Easy thing to do, but find something that works for you so you can talk to the Lord. I'd rather you guys talk to the Lord in your car than never talk to him at all. Right? But there are, there are simple ways like reading, like praying, like fellowshipping, serving, all the basic things, and those things are key. But there are two things that I want us to focus on today in your relationship with the Lord that when you do it correctly, it's going to bring leaps and bounds of growth and development to your walk, and your faith is going to be evident to others. You're going to feel closer to the Lord. You're going to see the goodness of God. You're going to see the hand of God. And there are two tangible times in your life where... It's going to exercise your faith and it's going to help you build up your relationship with the Lord. And the first, it's when you answer when the Lord calls you to do something. Answer when the Lord calls you to do something. That's the first thing where you're going to be able to experience just immense growth in your walk. You're going to bear fruit. Answer when the Lord calls you to do something. And two, answer when the Lord calls you to do nothing. All right? Answer when the Lord calls you to do something. 
Answer when the Lord calls you to do nothing. And we're going to get into both of those, but I want to focus on the first one, right? Don't, don't get too confused on what the nothing is. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that after, right? But the first one, when God calls you to do something, we're called to answer. And so to, to further illustrate this, I wanted to take you guys to a passage where there's someone in the Bible who took a strong stand for the Lord, and he did it despite the decaying society around him. And so if you guys will turn with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 1. Give me a thumbs up when you're in Daniel chapter 1. You guys are quick. It's okay if you use the table of contents. I have to use it sometimes too. And I'll wait for you guys to get there. And we're going to be reading verses 1 through 17. I want to give you guys a picture of what happens here. So Daniel chapter 1, you guys all there? Give me another thumbs up real quick. Okay, yeah, that's, all right, cool. All right, so in, in, uh, in verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart, that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. And therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And now God had brought Daniel into favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink, for why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over, uh, had set over, had set over Hananiah, uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test your servants for ten days, and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearance be examined before you, and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. And so he consented with them in this matter, and tested them ten days. And at the end of the ten days, God is faithful. At the end of the ten days. Their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. How many of you guys know that story? It's okay if you don't, but it's a pretty, pretty common story, right? But I kind of want us to break it down a little bit. 
Because here's what I want us to picture. You know how I was mentioning that we, we live in a decaying society, right? There's some crazy stuff going on, right? The moral corruption that's going on, I'd say specifically in California, has gotten worse and worse, right? But what, comes, what happens here is that the Lord allowed the Babylonians to come into Jerusalem and literally take it over militarily, right? And what that led to for Daniel was this very dangerous and very precarious position, because what we see in the later verses, after verse 1 and 2, right, we see that after Daniel's hometown was invaded and besieged by a foreign kingdom, could you imagine that, like that, that happening here? Like I always tell the young adults, like, just literally picture like if Russia came and invaded here. Like that, that's what's going on here. Like that's, that's something that's happening. Is literally his homeland was invaded and besieged by a foreign kingdom. And he was then chosen, Daniel, to be taken out of Jerusalem, taken back to Babylon, and essentially to be trained and assimilated into the Babylonian culture, which was not his own, right? It wasn't his culture. He was going to be completely brainwashed and transformed to think a different way, to look a different way, to be named something else. Right? He was about to be taken away to a situation where his identity, his actual identity would be challenged. He was about to be taken to a place where his faith was going to be challenged. If they didn't have the same religion, they didn't have the same faith where he was going to. And the craziest thing about that situation is that Daniel didn't do anything to cause it. He didn't do anything to contribute it. He was a victim of his circumstances. All right, and that's, the reason I mention that is because, again, we're living currently in a decaying society. Right, and I think the United States and here in California, we haven't been taken over militarily like Jerusalem was. But I think in a lot of ways, we have been taken over spiritually. And like I mentioned, we no longer have that home court advantage. People don't believe the same things anymore. The morality of the United States is going down and down. Right? And just like Daniel, we, not, we might not be the reason for it. Right? We might not be directly contributing to that moral decay around us. But the reason I talk about this is because whether or not it's our fault, we still have to be willing to, to be obedient to the Lord to take a stand for it. We have to. We still have to take a stand for Jesus Christ. Right? And I think about it because... Daniel's situation was worse, right? I think we like to just complain and moan and groan about the things that we go through. Oh, man, like these kids just have the, whole, like, the worst mentality, right? And I think a lot of times what ends up happening is we spend our own time picking more at other Christians than we care about reaching people that are lost, right? I, I see it so much. And even fighting political battles, there are so many things that we should have voted for. There are so many things that we should, we should pray for godly leaders, but that should not take precedence over the saving of souls. Right? But we like to think that we live in the worst of the worst situations, but in reality, thousands of years ago, it was worse. Daniel's situation was his homeland had been taken over militarily. We haven't gotten even close to that happening. It had been t- taken over militarily and spiritually. And so I think, man, if Daniel could take a stand, being pushed up to the top of government with all eyes on him and being able to take a stand for the Lord, then why can't we? Why do we struggle so much? Why are we so focused on just ourselves when, man, I I, I struggle sometimes because I think sometimes we make our faith so individualistic. Right? It's all about me. What I always tell the young adults, man, is like, this is not a self-help program. Your relationship with the Lord is not a self-help program. It's not just about helping me. At first, that's what it's about. It's about coming to the Lord, receiving him into your life. But then after that, your faith is meant to be shared. 
Your faith is meant to, to be spread to other people. It's meant to save your families. And so why can't we? That's a call. That's what the Lord calls us to do. But like I said, we're to, we're to build that faith in ourselves before we can do that in others. We have to get our affairs in order. And I'm not here to shame anybody because I suck too, man. <laughs> I struggle. But we're called to be warriors in the Lord's battle. It should really be so simple, right? And, and again, let me get a little bit into the details of what Daniel was going through. So um, let's read verse, uh, verses 3 through 7 really quick. I'll read that with you guys. It says, Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of the time they might serve before the king. And now among those of the sons um, of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs uh, of the eunuch gave names. He gave Daniel a name, Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, to Azariah, Abednego. Right, and so within one full swoop, Daniel went from being comfy, cozy in Jerusalem, right, at his home, in one full swoop, now he's in a foreign land. He's about to be given a new job, a new education, new food to eat, and a new name. New ideology, new identity. And that's what this world is trying to do to us. Right? They were calling him to serve in the king's palace, to receive training in the literature and the language of the Chaldeans for three years. Right? That's about the time of going to a university. Right? For those of you who are thinking of going to college. He was asked to eat their specific foods and drink their wine, and he even changed their name. And what's crazy about the name thing is they were all given names that glorified Yahweh, that glorified God. But then when they got there to Babylon, they changed their names to be reflective of pagan gods, completely changed their identity. And if you know anything about the Bible, you'll know that names are more than just your name. A lot of the times your name reflects your character. It reflects who you are. It's paired with your identity. Right? But all of those different tactics, right? the job, the education, the, the food, the things that we consume, the new name, the new identity, those are all the subtle ways that the enemy is going to come at us and try to change us with this decaying world around us. Right? It says, the Bible says that this, this world is under the sway of the wicked one. Right? And if you do not do something to build the faith up in yourself, it's going to do its absolute best to change you. It's going to do its absolute best to keep you down, to keep you struggling. The Bible says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and that the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Right? But sometimes those attacks don't come at you with, with things. They don't come at you very obviously. Sometimes attacks, they come through the things that go on in our jobs. The attacks that change you come through things that you hear about and that you're learning at school. Right? Sometimes it's through the things that we consume. Right? For, for Daniel, it was food. He didn't want to be defiled by the food that was offered to idols. But for us, it's what are you watching on TV? What are you consuming on a regular basis that's changing you, that's changing your perception? And sometimes it's just through the expectations of the world that we're influenced, that we feel like we can't be Christians, that we feel like we're struggling. 
right? The world kind of dictates what we're supposed to be like. Man, you talk to young people these days, and their minds are so skewed by what the world thinks, and they don't realize it. And that's the thing, right? A lot of us don't realize how heavily affected we are by the world that surrounds us, right? And I think we grossly actually underestimate how much the influence, potential influence that the world can have on us, right? Because the way I put it is that saying that you're not influenced by the world around you is like saying a fish isn't affected by the type of water it lives in. You are, whether you know it or not. If you're breathing it, you're living it, it's around you, it's going to affect you. But that's why we're called to do things in order to navigate and to protect ourselves from this world because this world so desperately wants to see us fail, man. You, you talk to young people, you talk to anybody. How many of you guys have people in your life that know you're a Christian and just kind of like they, they jab at you to try, because they want to see you fail? Right, and I see it all the time. Like people ask me, oh, why don't you drink? I'm like, dude, like I just don't. I'm a Christian, I won't do it. And then they follow up by, well, Jesus drank. Well, this, well, that, well, how about this? Why don't you just have one drink? And I'm like, well, why don't you just stop trying to get me to go against what I believe in, right? And it's constant. It's constant. There's always going to be those people in this world that want to see you fall, that want to see you mess up, right? Because they think that we're holier than thou or something like that, right? It's constantly going to be attacks, whether it's subtle or whether it's direct, because we live in it. We live in a fallen world. It ain't heaven until we get there. Nothing's going to be perfect until we're there living with the Lord. And we have to protect and we have to build this faith inside of us so that the people around you can see it. So that we actually might be a beacon of light in this dark world. It has to be the number one priority in your life to not lose your identity in Christ because they were trying to change Daniel's identity. In Philippians, it says that we're citizens of what? Citizens of heaven. First and foremost, that's how I identify. I'm a child of God. My citizenship belongs in heaven, nothing else. And it has to be your number one priority to hold on to that in this life. Because like I said, you'll bear fruit. You'll have joy. You'll enjoy your walk with the Lord. You guys know that your walk with the Lord isn't supposed to be burdensome? For some of us, it can be. For some of us, serving or just reading or doing anything, it can be a burden. And I've been there. I get there still now at times. But your walk with the Lord is supposed to be a joy. Right? But what the beautiful thing is, is that when the world was trying to change Daniel, like I said, his job, his education, the things that he ate, his actual name, they were trying to change him. Just like for many of you who have kids and the world's trying to change your kids, many of you that go throughout life, the world's trying to change you. The world's trying to pull you away from the Lord because the enemy doesn't want to see you saved. He doesn't want to see you walking. The enemy hates anything that's good of the Lord. Right? But what Daniel did is Daniel decided to draw a line. He decided to take a stand. And it was for a small thing. It was for the things that he ate. Right In verse 8, it says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And Daniel was aware of his circumstances. He knew he had to take the job, right? He, he, him and only a few other people were picked for the job. He knew he had to take the education, But when it came to defiling his own body against the Lord with food that was offered to idols, he said, no, I won't. I absolutely will not. And he honored the Lord in that. Daniel knew that it was against the Mosaic law to eat food that was offered to idols. He knew it. It, it, It's written in Exodus. He knew this specifically. This is the thing that the Lord has told me not to do. And because he told me, I'm not going to do it. 
The Lord told him to draw the line at defiling yourself with the foods of idols, and he stood strong. And it's beautiful. You know what's even more remarkable about it, though? Is that Daniel didn't need some big, great sign in order to take that stand. He didn't need a miracle. God didn't even audibly tell him. And yet we often so much don't get inspiration or want to take a stand for the Lord until we hear some big, great miracle or, you know, God, a wind blows and it opens to the right scripture. We're, we're hesitant. We're waiting for someone to tell us what to do. Right? But like I said, it's in the book of Exodus. It's written on Mosaic Law. Daniel knew the scripture. I should not defile myself with the food that's offered to idols. And because of that, because he knew the scripture, he knew what God said. In verse 8, it says, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. It should take nothing more than scripture and the word of God alone for us to be able to stick to our guns, to be able to take a stand for the Lord, to be able to say yes when he calls us to do something. That's what Daniel did. He did something. It was subtle. It was small. It was, it was I'm not going to eat that food, but it made a huge difference. Right? And what has the Lord called you to stand for in your life? Is it something at work? Is it something at school? Is it something within your family? It doesn't have to be some huge, huge issue. Like I said, Daniel did it with food. Right? But maybe for us, it's, no, I'm not going to ignore my Bible any longer. No, I'm not going to do something else when I should be praying. No, I'm not going to hide my faith around other people just because I feel uncomfortable. Right? And on the flip side, we should say no to the world, and we should say yes to the Lord. Yes, I'm going to read my Bible. Yes, I'm going to pray. Yes, I'm going to attend Bible studies. Yes, I'm going to serve in ministry. And not because that's the formula, but those are the things that God has given us. Those are the tools that he has equipped us with to stay close with him, to enjoy our walks, to abide in him and see real growth in our life with him. Let me ask you guys something. Have you said yes to God lately? Has there been a tangible thing in your life where the Lord has told you to do it and you said, okay, Lord, I'm going to do something different now. I'm going to do it. Or are you going through the same cycle, through the same motion of life? Because like I said in the beginning of the study, stagnant. You have to learn to say yes to the Lord when he tells you to say yes. You have to learn to draw a line when the Lord tells you to draw a line. Because let me tell you, the betterment of the, this decaying society, the betterment of this world depends on us saying no to the world and it depends on us saying yes to the Lord. Because we're called to build disciples, right? We're called to make disciples of all nations. But in order to be able to make disciples of all nations, we have to make disciples of ourselves. And in order to make disciples of ourselves, we have to say yes to the Lord and we have to say no to the world. That's where it starts. If you want to make an impact on those around you, it starts right here. Getting your word. Read. Pray, spend time with the Lord. He is so good. He wants to show you his love. And when you have his love inside of you, when you truly do, man, it's like you just throw it up all the time. It's just there. It's so cool. You see the faithfulness, man. And, and I can see it. And man, I had such a good ex- example in my dad. I had a good example in my mom. My mom, dude, I, I always choke up when I talk about it. But for the rest of my life, all I will ever think about when I think about my mom is her kneeling by her bedside every single morning praying. Every single morning. And I have a beautiful mother-in-law, who every time I talk to her, she goes, man, you want to hear about the goodness of God? You know what God did today? And it's just one of those beautiful things where it's like, man, you just walk with the Lord and you realize how good he is, how much he loves you. But so often we say no. So often we'd rather do something else. 
But the changing of this world relies on us opening up our Bible. It relies on us actually saying yes to the Lord and drawing those lines, doing something different. And it's cool, because I mentioned it. Daniel grew in obedience. He, he did one small thing, right? He, just said, he said, no, I'm not going to eat that food. But it's cool because he started off with that small line that he drew. But then over time, as you read through the book of Daniel, you see that it went from, okay, he's not going to eat the, food, the, eat the food that was offered to idols in the, face, in the face of the kings, in the face of the government. So easily we bound out a government. But Daniel was in the face. He was there at the, at the top. And he said, no, I'm not going to eat the food. And then from not eating the food, the Lord gave him the ability to be able to interpret dreams and signs for the kings. And after that, he was able to stand before the king and refuse to bow down to the king and he, and he, when they told him that he couldn't pray. And from that, then he went to facing a literal lion in the den and the Lord delivered him without a scratch on him. He grew in faith. Daniel grew in obedience. Right, but it started with that small decision. And the reason I talk about that is because obedience is a muscle. Faith is a muscle. You have to continually grow. You have to continually work on it. Because I've, I've talked, to, I've talked to, some of my, to, to some people I know about this, atrophy. Right? You guys know what atrophy is? It's when you don't use your muscles. Right? Sometimes when you're on bed rest for like more than a month or something like that, you realize, like, shoot, like, I get sore really easily. It's because your muscles break down when you don't use them. And obedience is the same way, right? Obedience is the exact same way. We, we have to start off in abiding in the small things of the Lord, being obedient to open up our Bibles, being obedient to lead our families in the ways of the Lord. As men, being willing to be leaders, as women, being willing to be that example, to pray, to submit, to do all these different things. And as you obey in the small things, the Lord entrusts you with more. And you start to make a difference in people's lives. You start to make a difference in your own life. Right? But it's a very simple formula. The more that you obey, the better you get at it. It's that simple. Right? The Lord has called us to take action. The Lord has called us to be salt and light, to go out and make disciples of all nations. But in reality, how many of you here that you think that you're the next Billy Graham? Right? Some of you chuckled. And I wouldn't expect anybody to raise their hands, right? But regardless, whatever impact you make for the Lord, it has to start somewhere. Right? You might be the next Billy Graham, but you'll never know if you're not opening up your Bible. You'll never know if you're not doing the small things that the Lord asks you to do. Maybe we just don't see it because we aren't obeying God in the small things. Because there is so much that God has for our lives. But if you're saying no at the, at the get-go, you're not going to receive those blessings. You're not going to see the things that you can do for the kingdom of God. Because each and every one of you here has a story. Each and every one of you has a trial that you have gone through, a trial that can be beautifully blossomed into a, a testimony of the Lord. But we don't realize that a lot of the times we let our trial eat ourselves up. A lot of the times we get stuck in a pit. And we don't realize that God has so much more, but we just have to say yes. We just have to let him use it. But we won't know until we start. And maybe you just want to make an impact on your family. That starts in the small things. Maybe you just want to make an impact on your friends, on your unsaved loved ones. That starts in the small things. We need to answer those simple calls because that is how you end up impacting the world. Answering the call to do something. Like I mentioned before, as you live in obedience to the Lord, you start to see his goodness. As you answer the call when he calls us to do something, 
man, you get so much joy because when you, when you step out in obedience, you see that God places a step there in front of you. And you see that he has the next few laid out for you. But you'll never get to experience the pure adrenaline and the pure beauty and the pure assurance of knowing that God loves you and that he has you until you start obeying. If you're constantly holding on to the steering wheel, you'll never know what it's like when God is driving. You'll never know. You have to take a step of faith. You have to do something different. Right? Daniel saw the Lord of the hand move. Like when I was reading the scripture and it said, we got to the, to the verse where it said that, that um, him and his friends, that they were, they were you know, more lively than the other guys. They were more healthy after they ate vegetables because you know what? That was God. He stepped out in obedience. And it's so cool to see how, da- how Daniel did that. If you look at verse 9, after, after Daniel stepped out in obedience, so you, let's read verse 8 first. Right, but verse eight it says, "But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank, and therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself." In the very next verse, after Daniel purposed in his heart, now God had brought Daniel into favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. God wants to give you favor. God wants to put you in good standing with those that are around you, but you have to purpose in your heart first. That's how it happened for Daniel. He stepped out in faith before the God audibly spoke to him because he knew the word. And God, in turn, and he repaid him for it. He honored that. Right? That is one of the greatest ways that you can make a difference in your walk. That is one of the greatest ways that you can make a difference in your world is by saying yes when the Lord calls you to do something. Something small. Stick to your convictions. Trust in him. You do something when the Lord tells you. And as I mentioned in the beginning of the study, there's another extremely important time for us as Christians that we're we're able to build up faith in ourselves. And we build faith in ourselves so that we can build faith in others. Right? In a lot of cases, in Daniel's case, the Lord calls us to do something for him. But there are other times, as I mentioned, where the Lord actually calls us to do nothing. And at times, it's by committing to doing nothing that we grow exponentially in the Lord. And to demonstrate that, we're going to go to a different passage. Let's just go to Genesis chapter 40. And give me a thumbs up when you're in Genesis chapter 40. Good, good, good. Yeah, everybody good? Genesis chapter 40, sweet. All right, we're not going to read it right away. But for a lot of us that know, right, this is part of the story of Joseph's life. And to me, I I consider it a story of faithfulness despite the circumstances. That's what I see when I see the life of Joseph. Faithfulness despite the circumstances. Because he went through really hard times too, just like Daniel did. Right, but I'll, I'll summarize it for you guys because, unfortunately, Joseph's life happens over several chapters in the Old Testament, and we don't have the time to get into everything. Right, but like I mentioned to you guys, Joseph was an extremely faithful follower of God. And no matter what the circumstance, he lived like in this trust and just full submission of God. Right? And what's more remarkable about someone who lives in full submission to the Lord, is that Joseph didn't live an easy life. Even though he was faithful, even though he never did anything to harm anybody, the Lord allowed him to go through trial after trial after trial 
after trial. I was listening to Chuck Smith teach on the story of, on the story of the life of Joseph. Right? And Chuck Smith repeatedly said, if anybody in the world ever had a right to question the goodness of God, it was Joseph. Right? And say, aside from Job, he's probably right. Joseph was an innocent man, but he was put in horrible circumstances over and over and over again. And all throughout his life, it seemed like he got the short end of the stick. And I feel like sometimes I feel like that about myself. I'm sure some of us feel like that about ourselves. We get down on ourselves. We feel like we always get the short end of the stick. We feel like the bad things always happen to us. And some of the bad things that did happen to Joseph, one of the very first things that happened to Joseph is the first thing is that he was hated by his brothers and his brothers sold him into slavery. Again, has that happened to anybody here? No, right? We look at the things and the things that we go through and a lot of the times it doesn't compare to what, to what these awesome disciples of the Lord went through. Right? But he was sold into slavery by his own brothers, moved out into Egypt, and he was bought by an officer of the Pharaoh named Potiphar. I'm sure some of you are familiar with that name. But what's cool is that when that happened, when he was bought into slavery, he was sold into slavery, Joseph just continued to put his head down and work. He continued to put his head down and be faithful to the Lord. He didn't freak out. He didn't try to get his vengeance. He just abided by the Lord. He did everything as he did it unto the Lord. And what's cool about that is he prospered under Potiphar. Right? And he actually put him over all of his household. Isn't that cool? Man, to see the goodness of, the God, of God, to see how you're put in a horrible circumstance, but if you just stay faithful, he's going to provide his blessings for you. And so despite the horrible circumstance of being sold into slavery, Joseph gained favor from Potiphar. And he's put over all his household. He was his top servant. Right? He became overseer of the house of Potiphar. Like I mentioned, Joseph continues to go through hard times despite his faithfulness, despite the good things that he does, despite him sticking to the Lord, what ends up happening is that Potiphar's wife has eyes for Joseph. And day after day after day, Potiphar's wife tries to get Joseph to sleep with her, right? Lustful eyes looking upon him to the point where she decides, okay, I'm going to force the issue. I'm going to get what I want. And she basically tries to force herself upon Joseph. And the faithfulness of Joseph, he books it. He runs. He runs away from sin. That's a beautiful thing that you always see. The, the perfect example of what it's like to run away from sexual, or to, to stay away from sexual sin, is to not try to fight it, but to run. Right? But Joseph was faithful. But in that moment, you, you could, he, could, he could have questioned, is God faithful? Because I got accused of something that I did not try to do. And then afterwards, he was thrown in prison. Right? Because what ends up happening is uh, Potiphar's wife, claims that, that he tried to rape her. And so, of course, of course Potiphar, who's he going to listen to his wife? Right? And so he accuses Joseph, throws him in prison. Didn't do anything wrong. Completely innocent. Thrown into a horrible circumstance again, but Joseph continued to work. Continued to do everything as if he was doing it unto the Lord, and he found favor with the prison keeper. Pretty cool what can happen when you continue to stay faithful to the Lord, not try to seek your own vengeance. You stick to what the Lord has for you, and he gives you favor. And so he found favor with the prison keeper. And there was at one point that the Pharaoh had a baker and a butler 
who were in question, right? There, there might have been some, some sort of uh, poisoning scheme going on, and so the Pharaoh decided, okay, I can't trust these guys, my baker and my butler. I'm going to throw them in prison, right? And they both meet Joseph, who's there, who's over the prisons. Um, he's there, kind of head prisoner, in a sense, right? You see the cycle going on. And what ends up happening is that this baker and this butler have dreams. And they come to Joseph, and Joseph, by the favor of God, by trusting in the Lord, he was able to interpret those dreams. Right? A beautiful, beautiful thing that he was able to do. And basically, the interpretations of the dreams were this. Butler, in three days, you're going to be back at the king's side, serving his cup. They're going to release you. And Baker, in three days, sorry, man, but in three days, they're going to accuse you of the crime, and you're going to be hanged. And what ends up happening is that comes into fruition. Three days later, exactly what Joseph interpreted had happened because of the favor of the Lord. Right? But when Joseph was talking to the butler and he told him the good news, right? He's like, hey man, you're going to be free in three days. He goes, but by the way, when that happens, when you get up there, when you see the Pharaoh, tell him to remember me. Put in a good word for me. I, I'm innocent, man. Get me out. Right? Help, help me to get out. I haven't done anything wrong. And I'm sure at that moment, for Joseph, it seemed like things were looking up. Man, God gave me favor to interpret these dreams. Man, I just talked to the butler. The butler's excited. He's going to tell the pharaoh. The pharaoh's going to come. Oh, they're going to realize I'm innocent. They're going to they're find favor with me again, and I'm going to get out. Right? But after, and then after all that hardship up to that point, how much joy he must have felt at seeing, the, oh, man, the goodness of God. All right? and, and so let's look, at, let's look at chapter 40. In verse 23. It says, yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Must have been a punch to the stomach, right? You feel like this is your moment. You feel like, all right, I'm about to be vindicated. I'm about to be proven innocent. Things are finally looking up. And you take another one, dude, just right hook to the face. Punch to the stomach. And it feels like all things are against you. And that's where it ends. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the butler forgot. Right? And it's not like the butler forgot something simple. He, he didn't forget his keys. He didn't forget the dinner he ate yesterday. He forgot to mention the one thing that might get an innocent man out of prison. That's not something cool to forget, man. Right? And I think we have this all general sense. We know that God is good. Right? We understand that. Right? We understand that God is good all the time and all the time. God is good, right? We understand that. We know it. But it's in moments like these, like that moment for Joseph where he felt like, oh, he was about to be free, and then he got punched in the stomach. It's moments like that where it's really hard for us to truly believe that. It's really hard for us to keep that God's goodness is top of mind, that God's love for me is top of mind because what I see in front of me doesn't look like it. He had done nothing wrong, and yet all of these bad things kept happening to him. And, And honestly, for me, I think that's when it hurts the most. When you know you're innocent, you've been, you've been just doing right by the Lord. You haven't done anything to hurt anybody. And yet these bad things keep happening to you. Right? That's the most frustrating thing is when you come with pure intentions and people treat you wrong. Right? And, and when I think of that, man, like, I always just kind of brush it off because I'm like, man, Jesus, like, you are so good. You are so good. The purest of intentions in Jesus and he was crucified. He set the example on that. So don't ever get too caught up in, in how people treat you or if you have pure intentions or if you've done nothing wrong because people are going to people. This world is going to act like this world. You're going to get hurt. 
Right? It's in those times when you feel like something horrible has happened in your life. It's in those times where you feel like you got the short end of the stick. Right? Where you say, God, I know you're good, but if you're really good, God, then why are all these bad things coming into my life? Lord, I've done nothing wrong. I'm not sinning against you. And that's when we start to question. I'm just in the bad, wrong, wrong end of a situation. Does God really love me? Is he really faithful? Does he, work, does he really work all things together for good? How about this one? Is he going to come through this time? For some reason, God comes through every single time, and yet the next time, I don't feel like he's going to do it. <laughs> I don't have the assurance that he's going to do it this time. Because the enemy will tell you lies. Oh, yeah, but that was that time. Oh, you just got lucky that time. Oh, that's because this happened last time. That's why. I know God is good. He's faithful. He's always going to come through for us. Right now, for, I'm sure for Joseph, in that verse 23, when it says that the butler forgot him, he also felt like God forgot him. Especially the way it built up like that. I interpreted the dream. I'm going to get out. And then it says in the next verse after that in chapter 41 that it wasn't for two years. It wasn't for another two years that Joseph was even thought about again. Think about it. Sitting in a pit for two years, forgotten about when you thought God was about to come through. I'm sure all of us have gone through a time like that. Sure, there, there have been times in my life where I thoroughly believed that my purpose was to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. There have been times in my life where I actually thought that. And we are called to suffer for the Lord, but I thought like, man, that's my only purpose. That's all, doing. That's all my life is. I'm just going to go through hard times. And you know what, Lord, if, if that's it, that's fine. Kind of bitter, kind of accepting. Right? But we go through it. We go through depression. We, we go through anxiety. We go through the loss of a loved one. We go through insecurities. We're wronged by others. Right? And I think it's in times like those that we're reading the story of our lives and we kind of just want to close the book because I don't like this chapter because I don't like what's going on right now. And it's really hard to get through and it gets to the point where you just want to stop reading. Lord, I don't get this part. This part is hard to read. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. And if there's anybody in this building right now that's, a point, that's at the point where they want to close the book, I would beg you, man, please keep reading. Please keep reading. Continue waiting on the Lord. Right, a lot of times we want to close the book, but it's only because we don't realize there's so much more story left to be told. God has big plans for your life. There are so many things that he wants to do with your life. Are bad times going to come? Yes. We live in a fallen world. It ain't heaven until we get there. But we have to keep reading. Right? And there are many people in this life that do end up closing the book on God. I'm sure many of, of you know them. Those people who have gone through hard times and so they close the book on God. I've gone through something immensely terrible and if God has allowed this to happen in my life, he doesn't love me. If God has allowed this to happen in my life, there must be no God if this has happened in my life. Right? But the reason that people live their lives with that perception is because they stop reading the book. They get to the hard part and they close it. And they come up with the skewed perception that God is not good, but that's because they have, they're, they're operating on insufficient data. Don't make your judgment on God or your situation until it's over. Right? And the reason we can trust in God to continue and to finish that work is because of God's sovereignty. Right? God's sovereignty is the, the concept that the Lord is over every single detail of your life from beginning to end. Do you believe that? 
Do you truly believe that God is in control of every single detail of your life? If you're walking in him, if, you, if you're in the spirit, do you believe that God has control over everything? He has a full and complete plan for your life. As long as you're still breathing, God is not done with you. Not until the day he calls you home. He's working things out in the greater picture. But the reason we get caught up in it is because more than often we disobey the Bible and we end up walking by sight rather than walking by faith. But the only problem about walking by sight is that we can't see beyond anything. You can't see beyond 10 seconds of what's going to happen right now. You can make the most accurate guess of what can happen 10 seconds from now. Tomorrow, you can make the wildest guess at, or, or the most accurate guess, but you can never say in confidence, you know. You don't know. There could be breakthrough tomorrow. There could be break, breakthrough five weeks from now, five years from now, but you have no way of predicting that. So why are you going to trust in something that has insufficient data? Why are you going to trust in something that can't see beyond tomorrow? Because what's beautiful about it is that John 1, verse 3, it says, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Speaking of Jesus, this entire world is in the hands of the Lord. God is working things out, whether you believe it or not, whether you see it or not. In Isaiah chapter 58, verses 8 through 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts As long as you have breath in your lungs, God is not done with you. Hebrews 12, 2, it says that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Philippians 1, 6, it says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just because you're in a difficult situation, it doesn't mean that it's the end for you. And here's the thing, will you be willing to wait for everything else that God has for you? Are you willing to do nothing while God tells you to wait? Are you willing to do nothing, to wait in the pit for two years as Joseph did, to let God be the one to bring your breakthrough? Because a lot of times the first thing we want to do when we hit trial is we struggle, right? We, we complain, but then the next thing is we want to try to fix our own problems. We, we try to, to figure things out, right? And you, you could try other things, but are you going to wait for what God has for you? It's really, really cool to see how, how, how Joseph does this. Because it says in verse 41, or sorry, in chapter 41, verse 1, right after it says the chief butler forgot him, in verse 1 it says, Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river. And what it does there is it ends up going in the fact that after two years, Pharaoh had a dream. And Pharaoh couldn't figure out what his dream meant. And lo and behold, the butler was there to be able to say, oh shoot, yeah, I forgot. There's a guy in your prison that dealt with me two years ago. He interpreted my dream. Pharaoh, um, you might want to talk to him. You guys think that's how Joseph thought he would get out? Probably not. Probably not after two years. It's Probably not what he saw. But God had it in the works the entire time, and that's the same thing for your situation. Oftentimes, man, when you trust in the Lord, you see he, think, he brings things out of left field. And it blesses you more because of it, because you see how great he is. Like, man, Lord, I would have never thought of that. I would have never offered that. But what you brought me is so much better. 
Because what ends up happening is Joseph interprets the dream, right? And to keep things short, Joseph interprets the dream, and the Pharaoh sees him as the wisest man in all the land. And so he puts him second command over all of Egypt, not just over Potiphar's house, over all of Egypt. Joseph just wanted to get out of prison. God had in store for him to be second in command over all of Egypt. If Joseph had gone his own way, maybe he could have gotten out, but would he have lived the life that God wanted him to? Absolutely not. God calls us to wait. You can solve your own problems, but it takes more maturity in your faith. It takes more strength to wait, to do nothing. It is hard to do nothing. Because it takes a swallowing of your pride. It takes, uh, I'm going to step aside, and Lord, you got this. There have been so many situations in my life, and I feel like God has just been riddling my life with them lately because he wants to humble me. He's like, dude, I'm going to solve this for you. And when I try to solve them, it just makes me sick to my stomach. Because there are situations that have happened over the past several months in my own life where people have wronged me, man. I've had people that I've worked with was just outright wrong. And every person that I explain these situations to, they go, dude, why don't you do something? And I'm like, I tried, but it doesn't help anything. And then I stop trying, and then it works. And then God is there. God comes through. It's happened over and over. Whether it's been through a big purchase or a big decision or like just flat out something wrong happened to me. And it almost makes me sick now because like the Lord, like I'm there trying to solve it on my own. And trust me, I get heated when I'm mad. I get heated when, when people do me wrong. I'm a nice guy, but dude, do me wrong and, and you'll get a different person. And, and the thing is, I feel sick to my stomach now when I feel like that. Because I know that in, in Romans it says, in Romans 5.12, it says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. He's the one that's working everything out. And when Joseph interpreted those dreams, he gave all glory to God. That wasn't on him. He couldn't have done that without the Lord. And what's cool is that when he was put, um, put, put a second in command, that enabled him to be over all of Egypt in a time of famine where he was wise enough to be able to store away food so that everybody was coming to Egypt during a time of drought and famine so that they could get food and so that people could survive. And he was able to bring his family in. His family would have died had he not been sold into slavery. His family would have died had he not been accused by Potiphar's wife. His family would have died had, had the butler not forgotten him. But because of that, because of the providence and the sovereignty of God, because he chose to wait, he chose to do nothing, he built up that faith in his own life, and he was put second in command, and he was able to, to, to show God's providence to his family. Those are the two things that we're called to build up our faith. You do something like Daniel did, you draw the lines, and then at times when God calls you to, you do absolutely nothing, and you wait on the Lord. And when you do those two things, those are the two things where you see the hand of God so present in your life, it's undeniable. But like I said, you have to take that step. You have to be willing to watch God place the steps in front of you because otherwise you'll never get it. You'll never grow. You'll never see, ha, see and have that joy in your walk with the Lord. You might be saved, but you won't experience the intimacy of walking with the Lord. And like my mother-in-law always says, man, did you see what God did today? Let me tell you about how good God is. You'll be walking and talking and breathing that. And those around you will be changed. That's how we change the world. You build up your own faith so that you can build it in others, so that other people can see you. You'll be like a tree planted by the water that gives fruit in its season. You won't even have to try because you'll see the goodness of God.